Part three of Chapter One of Studies in the Psychology of Sex, Volume Two by Havelock Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homosexual practices everywhere flourish and abound in prisons. There is abundant evidence on this point. I will only bring forward the evidence of Dr. Way, formerly physician to the Elmira Reformatory, New York. Sexuality, he wrote in a private letter, is one of the most troublesome elements with which we have to contend. I have no data as to the number of prisoners here who are sexually perverse. In my pessimistic moments I should feel like saying that all were, but probably eighty per cent would be a fair estimate. And, referring to the sexual influence which some men have over others, he remarks that there are many men with features suggestive of femininity that attract others to them in a way that reminds me of a bitch in heat followed by a pack of dogs. In Sing Sing Prison of New York, 20% of the prisoners are said to be actively homosexual, and a large number of the rest passively homosexual. These prison relationships are not always of a brutal character, McMurtry states, the attraction sometimes being more spiritual than physical. Prison life develops and fosters the homosexual tendency of criminals, but there can be little doubt that that tendency, or else a tendency to sexual indifference or bisexuality, is a radical character of a very large number of criminals. We may also find it to a considerable extent among tramps, an allied class of undoubted degenerates, who, save for brief seasons, are less familiar with prison life. I am able to bring forward interesting evidence on this point by an acute observer who lived much among tramps in various countries, and largely devoted himself to the study of them. The fact that homosexuality is especially common among men of exceptional intellect was long since noted by Dante. In Somma Sapi, Che tutti fu cerci, e literati grandi, et di gran fama, dan medismo, peccato, al mondo lurci. It has often been noted since, and remains a remarkable fact. There cannot be the slightest doubt that intellectual and artistic abilities of the highest order have frequently been associated with a congenitally inverted sexual temperament. There has been a tendency among inverts themselves to discover their own temperament in many distinguished persons on evidence of the most slender character. But it remains a demonstrable fact that numerous highly distinguished persons of the past and the present in various countries have been inverts. I may here refer to my own observations on this point in the preface. Mantegazza remarks that in his own restricted circle he is acquainted with a French publicist, a German poet, an Italian statesman, and a Spanish jurist, all men of exquisite taste and highly cultivated mind, who are sexually inverted. Kraft Ebbing, in the preface to his Psychopathia Sexualis, referring to the numberless communications he has received from these stepchildren of nature, remarks that the majority of the writers are men of high intellectual and social position, and often possess very keen emotions. Rafalovich names among distinguished inverts Alexander the Great, Epaminondas, Virgil, the Great Conde, Prince Eugene, etc., Mole, in his Berumt Homosexuel, discusses the homosexuality of a number of eminent persons, for the most part with his usual caution and sagacity. Speaking of the alleged homosexuality of Wagner, he remarks with entire truth that the method of arguing the existence of homosexuality from the presence of feminine traits must be decisively rejected. Hirschfeld has more recently included in his great work De Homosexualistat two lists, ancient and modern, 
of alleged inverts among the distinguished persons of history briefly stating the nature of the evidence in each case they amount to nearly three hundred not all of them however can be properly described as distinguished thus we end in the list forty-three english names of these at least half a dozen were noblemen who were concerned in homosexual prosecutions but were of no intellectual distinction others again are of undoubted eminence but there is no good reason to regard them as homosexual this is the case for instance as regards swift who may have been mentally abnormal but appears to have been heterosexual rather than homosexual fletcher of whom we know nothing definite in this respect is also included as well as tennyson whose youthful sentimental friendship for arthur hallam is exactly comparable to that of montaigne for etienne de la boetie yet montaigne is not included in the list it may be added however that while some of the english names in the list are thus extremely doubtful it would have been possible to add some others who were without doubt inverts it has not i think been noted largely because the evidence was insufficiently clear that among moral leaders and persons with strong ethical instincts there is a tendency toward the more elevated forms of homosexual feeling this may be traced not only in some of the great moral teachers of old but also in men and women of our own day it is fairly evident why this should be so just as the repressed love of a woman or a man has in normally constituted persons frequently furnished the motive power for an enlarged philanthropic activity so the person who sees his own sex also bathed in sexual glamour brings to his work of human service an ardour wholly unknown to the normally constituted individual morality to him has become one with love i am not prepared here to insist on this point but no one i think who studies sympathetically the histories and experiences of great moral leaders can fail in many cases to note the presence of this feeling more or less finely sublimated from any gross physical manifestation if it is probable that in moral movements persons of homosexual temperament have sometimes become prominent it is undoubtedly true beyond possibility of doubt that they have been prominent in religion many years ago in eighteen eighty five the ethnologist elie recluse in his charming book les primitifs setting forth the phenomena of homosexuality among the eskimo inuit tribe clearly insisted that from time immemorial there has been a connection between the invert and the priest and showed how well this connection is illustrated by the eskimo chupans much more recently in his elaborate study of the priest hornefer discusses the feminine traits of priests and shows that among the most various peoples persons of sexually abnormal and especially homosexual temperament have assumed the functions of priesthood to the popular eye the unnatural is the supernatural and the abnormal has appeared to be specially close to the secret power of the world abnormal persons are themselves of the same opinion and regard themselves as divine as Hornefer points out, they often really possess special aptitude. Karsch, in his Gleichgeschlechtlich Lieben der Natterwolke, has brought out the high religious as well as social significance of castes of cross-dressed and often homosexual persons among primitive peoples. At the same time, Edward Carpenter, in his remarkable book, Intermediate Types Among Primitive Folk, has shown, with much insight, how it comes about that there is an organic connection between the homosexual temperament and unusual psychic or divinatory powers. Homosexual men were non-warlike, and homosexual women non-domestic, so that their energies sought different outlets from those of ordinary men and women they become the initiators of new activities 
thus it is that from among them would in some degree issue not only inventors and craftsmen and teachers but sorcerers and diviners medicine men and wizards prophets and priests such persons would be especially impelled to thought because they would realize that they were different from other people treated with reverence by some and with contempt by others they would be compelled to face the problems of their own nature and indirectly the problems of the world generally moreover carpenter points out persons in whom the masculine and feminine temperaments were combined would in many cases be persons of intuition and complex mind beyond their fellows and so able to exercise divination and prophecy in a very real and natural sense this aptitude of the invert for primitive religion for sorcery and divination would have its reaction on popular feeling more especially when magic and the primitive forms of religion began to fall into disrepute the invert would be regarded as the sorcerer of a false and evil religion and be submerged in the same ignominy this point has been emphasized by westermark in the instructive chapter on homosexuality in his great work on moral ideas he points out the significance of the fact at the first glance apparently inexplicable that homosexuality in the general opinion of medieval christianity was constantly associated even confounded with heresy as we see significantly illustrated by the fact that in france and england the popular designation for homosexuality is derived from the bulgarian heretics it was westermark believes chiefly as a heresy and out of religious zeal that homosexuality was so violently reprobated and so ferociously punished in modern europe we find the strongest evidence of the presence of what may fairly be called true sexual inversion when we investigate the men of the renaissance the intellectual independence of those days and the influence of antiquity seem to have liberated and fully developed the impulses of those abnormal individuals who would otherwise have found no clear expression and passed unnoticed murray the humanist may perhaps be regarded as a typical example of the nature and fate of the superior invert of the renaissance born in fifteen twenty six at murray limousin of poor but noble family he was of independent somewhat capricious character unable to endure professors and consequently he was mainly his own teacher though he often sought advice from jules cesar scaliger murray was universally admired in his day for his learning and his eloquence and is still regarded not only as a great latinist and a fine writer but as a notable man of high intelligence and remarkable moreover for courtesy and polemics in an age when that quality was not too common his portrait shows a somewhat coarse and rustic but intelligent face he conquered honour and respect before he died in fifteen eighty five at the age of fifty nine in early life murray wrote wanton erotic poems to women which seem based on personal experience but in fifteen fifty three we find him imprisoned in the chatelet for sodomy and in danger of his life so that he thought of starving himself to death friends however obtained his release and he settled in toulouse but the very next year he was burnt in an effigy in toulouse as a huguenot and sodomist this being the result of a judicial sentence which had caused him to flee from the city and from france four years later he had to flee from padua owing to a similar accusation he had many friends but none of them protested against the charge though they aided him to escape from the penalty it is very doubtful whether he was a huguenot and whenever in his works he refers to pederasty it is with strong disapproval but his writings reveal passionate friendship for men and he seems to have expended little energy in combating a charge which if false was a shameful injustice to him 
It was after fleeing into Italy and falling ill of a fever from fatigue and exposure that Murray is said to have made the famous retort to the physician by his bedside, who had said, Faciamus experimentum in anima vili, vilim animam appellas pro qua Christus non dedignatus est mori. A great humanist than Murray, Erasmus himself seems as a young man, when in the Augustinian monastery of Stein, to have had a homosexual attraction to another brother, afterwards prior, to whom he addressed many passionately affectionate letters. His affection seems, however, to have been unrequited. As the Renaissance developed, homosexuality seems to have become more prominent among distinguished persons. Poliziano was accused of pederasty. Aretino was a pederast, as Pope Julius II seems also to have been. Ariosto wrote in his satires, no doubt too extremely, Senza quel vizio son poci umanisti. Tasso had a homosexual strain in his nature, but he was of weak and feminine constitution, sensitively emotional and physically frail. It is, however, among artists at that time and later that homosexuality may most notably be traced. Leonardo da Vinci, whose ideals, as revealed in his work, are so strangely bisexual, lay under homosexual suspicion in his youth. In 1476, when he was twenty-four years of age, charges were made against him before the Florentine officials for the control of public morality, and were repeated, though they do not appear to have been substantiated. There is, however, some ground for supposing that Leonardo was imprisoned in his youth. Throughout life he loved to surround himself with beautiful youths, and his pupils were more remarkable for their attractive appearance than for their skill. To one at least of them he was strongly attached, while there is no record of any attachment to a woman. Freud, who has studied Leonardo with his usual subtlety, considers that his temperament was marked by ideal homosexuality. Michelangelo, one of the very chief artists of the Renaissance period, we cannot now doubt, was sexually inverted. The evidence furnished by his own letters and poems, as well as by the researches of numerous recent workers, Paolo Greco, Scheffler, J. A. Simmons, etc., may be said to have placed this beyond question. He belonged to a family of five brothers, four of whom never married, and, so far as is known, left no offspring. The fifth only left one male heir. His biographer describes Michelangelo as a man of peculiar, not altogether healthy, nervous temperament. He was indifferent to women. Only in one case, indeed, during his long life is there evidence even of friendship with a woman. While he was very sensitive to the beauty of men, and his friendships were very tender and enthusiastic. At the same time, there is no reason to suppose that he formed any physically passionate relationships with men, and even his enemies seldom or never made this accusation against him. We may probably accept the estimate of his character given by Simmons. Michelangelo Buonarroti is one of those exceptional but not uncommon men who are born with sensibilities abnormally deflected from the ordinary channel. He showed no partiality for women, and a notable enthusiasm for the beauty of young men. He was a man of physically frigid temperament, extremely sensitive to beauty of the male type, who habitually philosophized his emotions, and contemplated the living objects of his admiration as amiable, not only for their personal qualities, but also for their aesthetical attractiveness. A temperament of this kind seems to have had no significance for the men of those days. They were blind to all homosexual emotion which had no result in sodomy. 
plato found such attraction a subject for sentimental metaphysics but it was not until nearly our own time that it again became a subject of interest and study yet it undoubtedly had profound influence on michelangelo's art impelling him to find every kind of human beauty in the male form and only a grave dignity or tenderness divorced from every quality that is sexually desirable in the female form this deeply rooted abnormality is at once the key to the melancholy of michelangelo and to the mystery of his art michelangelo's contemporary the painter bazzi seems also to have been radically inverted and to this fact he owed his nickname sodoma as however he was married and had children it may be that he was as we should now say of bisexual temperament he was a great artist who had been dealt with unjustly partly perhaps because of the prejudice of vasari whose admiration for michelangelo amounted to worship but who is contemptuous towards sodoma and grudging of praise partly because his work is little known out of italy and not very easy of access there reckless unbalanced and eccentric in his life sodoma revealed in his painting a peculiar feminine softness and warmth which indeed we seem to see also in his portrait of himself at monte olivietto maggiore and a very marked and tender feeling for masculine but scarcely virile beauty cellini was probably homosexual he was imprisoned on a charge of unnatural vice and is himself suspiciously silent in his autobiography concerning this imprisonment in the seventeenth century another notable sculptor who has been termed the flemish cellini jerome duquesnoy whose still more distinguished brother francois executed the mannequin piece in brussels was an invert having finally been accused of sexual relations with a youth in a chapel of the ghent cathedral where he was executing a monument for the bishop he was strangled and burned notwithstanding that much influence including that of the bishop was brought to bear in his behalf in more recent times winkelmann who was the initiator of a new greek renaissance and of the modern appreciation of ancient art lies under what seems to be a well-grounded suspicion of sexual inversion his letters to male friends are full of the most passionate expressions of love his violent death also appears to have been due to a love adventure with a man the murderer was a cook a wholly uncultivated man a criminal who had already been condemned to death and shortly before murdering winkelmann for the sake of plunder he was found to be on very intimate terms with him it is noteworthy that sexual inversion should so often be found associated with the study of antiquity it must not however be too hastily concluded that this is due to suggestion and that to abolish the study of greek literature and art would be largely to abolish sexual inversion what has really occurred in those recent cases that may be studied and therefore without doubt in the older cases is that the subject of congenital sexual inversion is attracted to the study of greek antiquity because he finds there the explanation and the apotheosis of his own obscure impulses undoubtedly that study tends to develop these impulses while it is peculiarly easy to name men of distinguished ability who either certainly or in all probability have been affected by homosexual tendencies they are not isolated manifestations they spring out of an element of diffused homosexuality which is at least as marked in civilization as it is in savagery it is easy to find illustrations in every country here it may suffice to refer to france germany and england 
in france in the thirteenth century the church was so impressed by the prevalence of homosexuality that it reasserted the death penalty for sodomy at the councils of paris twelve twelve and rouen twelve fourteen while we are told that even by rejecting a woman's advances as illustrated in marie de france's lay de l'anval a man fell under suspicion as a sodomist which was also held to involve heresy at the end of this century about twelve ninety four alain de lille was impelled to write a book de planctu natre in order to call attention to the prevalence of homosexual feeling he also associated the neglect of women with sodomy man is made woman he writes he blackens the honour of his sex the craft of magic venus makes him of double gender nobly beautiful youths have turned their hammers of love to the office of anvils and many kisses lie untouched on maiden lips the result is that the natural anvils that is to say the neglected maidens bewail the absence of their hammers and are seen sadly to demand them alain de lille makes himself the voice of this demand a few years later at the beginning of the fourteenth century sodomy was still regarded as very prevalent at that time it was especially associated with the templars who it has been supposed brought it from the east such a supposition however is not required to account for the existence of homosexuality in france nor is it necessary at a somewhat later period to invoke as is frequently done the italian origin of catherine de medici in order to explain the prevalence of homosexual practices at her court notwithstanding its prevalence sodomy was still severely punished from time to time thus in fifteen eighty six dadon who had formerly been rector of the university of paris was hanged and then burned for injuring a child through sodomy in the seventeenth century homosexuality continued however to flourish and it is said that nearly all the numerous omissions made in the published editions of talemon de reaux's historiettes refer to sodomy how prominent homosexuality was in the early eighteenth century in france we learn from the frequent references to it in the letters of madame the mother of the regent whose husband was himself effeminate and probably inverted for the later years of the century the evidence abounds on every hand at this time the bastille was performing a useful function until recently overlooked by historians as an isle de surete for abnormal persons whom it was considered unsafe to leave at large inverts whose conduct became too offensive to be tolerated were frequently placed in the bastille which indeed abounded in homosexual subjects to a greater extent than any other class of sexual perverts some of the affairs which led to the bastille have a modern air one such case on a large scale occurred in seventeen o two and reveals an organized system of homosexual prostitution one of the persons involved in this affair was a handsome well-made youth named lebel formerly a lackey but passing himself off as a man of quality seduced at the age of ten by a famous sodomist named duplessis he had since been at the disposition of a number of homosexual persons including officers priests and marquises some of the persons involved in these affairs were burnt alive some cut their own throats others again were set at liberty or transferred to the bicetre during the latter part of the eighteenth century also we find another modern homosexual practice recognized in france the rendezvous or centre where homosexual persons could quietly meet each other inversion has always been easy to trace in germany Amianus Marcellinus bears witness to its prevalence among some German tribes in later Roman days. 
in medieval times as schultz points out references to sodomy in germany were far from uncommon various princes of the german imperial house and of other princely families in the middle ages were noted for their intimate friendships at a later date attention has been frequently called to the extreme emotional warmth which has often marked german friendship even when there has been no suspicion of any true homosexual relationship the eighteenth century in the full enjoyment of that abandonment to sentiment initiated by rousseau proved peculiarly favourable to the expansion of the tendency to sentimental friendship on this basis a really inverted tendency when it existed could easily come to the surface and find expression we find this well illustrated in the poet heinrich von kleist who seems to have been of bisexual temperament and his feelings for the girl he wished to marry were indeed much cooler than those for his friend to this friend ernst von fuhl afterwards prussian war minister kleist wrote in eighteen o five at the age of twenty-eight you bring the days of the greeks back to me i could sleep with you dear youth my whole soul so embraces you when you used to bathe in the lake of thun i would gaze with the real feelings of a girl at your beautiful body it would serve an artist to study from there follows an enthusiastic account of his friend's beauty and of the greek idea of the love of youths and kleist continues go with me to anspach and let us enjoy the sweets of friendship i shall never marry you must be my wife and children to me in all social classes and in all fields of activity germany during the nineteenth century produced a long series of famous or notorious homosexual persons at the one end we find people of the highest intellectual distinction such as alexander von humboldt whom nach a cautious investigator stated that he had good ground for regarding as an invert at the other end we find prosperous commercial and manufacturing people who leave germany to find solace in the free and congenial homosexual atmosphere of capri of these f a krupp the head of the famous essen factory may be regarded as the type in england and the same is true to-day of the united states although homosexuality has been less openly manifest and less thoroughly explored it is doubtful whether it has been less prevalent than in germany at an early period indeed the evidence may seem to show that it was more prevalent in the penitentials of the ninth and tenth century natural fornication and sodomy were frequently put together and the same penance assigned to both it was recognized that priests and bishops as well as laymen might fall into this sin though to the bishop nearly three times as much penance was assigned as to the layman among the normans everywhere homosexuality was markedly prevalent the spread of sodomy in france about the eleventh century is attributed to the normans and their coming seems to have rendered it at times almost fashionable at all events at court in england william rufus was undoubtedly inverted as later on were edward the second james the first and perhaps though not in so conspicuous a degree william the third Ordericus vitalis who was himself half norman and half english says that the normans had become very effeminate in his time and that after the death of william the conqueror sodomy was common both in england and normandy guillaume de nongis in his chronicle for about eleven twenty speaking of the two sons of henry and the company of young nobles who went down with them in the white ship states that nearly all were considered to be sodomists and henry of huntington in his history looked upon the loss of the white ship as a judgment of heaven upon sodomy 
anselm in writing to archdeacon william to inform him concerning the recent council at london 1102 gives advice as to how to deal with people who have committed the sin of sodomy and instructs him not to be too harsh with those who have not realized its gravity for hitherto this sin has been so public that hardly any one has blushed for it and many therefore have plunged into it without realizing its gravity so temperate a remark by a man of such unquestionably high character is more significant of the prevalence of homosexuality than much denunciation. End of part three of chapter one. Recording by John Fricker.